You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group and American National Insurance. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Angostura. If you've ever made a cocktail at home, you've most likely shaken Angostura bitters into your cocktail at the very end of the cocktail making process. In addition to bitters, Angostura has been making world-class rum for more than 130 years. The next fall cocktail you make, try the beautiful, smooth flavor of Angostura rum. It will transport you to the Caribbean islands of Trinidad and Tobago. The House of Angostura will celebrate its 200-year anniversary of turning drinks into cocktails in 2024. Cheers, everyone. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit americannational.com dine. Welcome to To Dine For, the podcast, where we meet the world's most creative and innovative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Suzanne Lopez. Dancers are evolving, students are evolving, teachers are evolving, ballet is evolving. And if we don't move along with it, then we're dated. Suzanne Lopez is the Abbott Academy Director of the Joffrey Academy of Dance, which is the official school of the Joffrey Ballet. Suzanne's journey at the Joffrey started when she was 12, when she attended her first summer intensive audition, taught by none other than Robert Joffrey. She has had a 19-year dance career, dancing principal roles in ballets by famed choreographers such as Jose Limon, Twyla Tharp, and Sir Frederick Ashton. She has had an incredible career at Joffrey, and now she is continuing the legacy of great dance in Chicago. Please enjoy my conversation with Suzanne Lopez. Hi, Suzanne. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Excellent. Thanks for being on To Dine For the podcast. It's my pleasure. Well, I'm going to begin this podcast the way I begin all my podcasts, which is by asking you where your favorite restaurant is. Are you from Chicago? I feel like I am now. I've been here for quite a long time, 25 years or so. I'm from the East Coast originally, but I have been in Chicago for at least half my life now. So I, I feel like a true Chicagoan. Where on the East Coast are you from? I'm from New Jersey. Oh, okay, great. So if you could take me to any restaurant, where would you take me? That's very hard for me to pick one. Um, 
probably my favorite food is sushi. So I, I don't have a, a single favorite restaurant. We do have in my neighborhood, there's a takeout place called Lawrence Fish Market, which has like phenomenal sushi, but it's it's really only takeout. So we do that. Okay. It's called Lawrence Fish Market. And what neighborhood is it? It's in Albany Park. It's just a little stand, but their their business is actually wholesale fish for, they actually provide fish for sushi restaurants, but then they have a little side job of making their own sushi and it's all takeout. So that's not, I don't dine in there, but right. it's, a, it's, <laughs> it's not exactly a restaurant. However, it sounds like you're a sushi connoisseur. So it sounds like a great spot to go if you really love some fresh fish. It is, it is. And then I'd say one of the, I mean, it's not a grand place at all, but we, my family and I, we, we have trouble finding time to all sit down to dinner together. So sometimes on a weekend, we'll we'll be able to all go out to breakfast together. And we go to a place called the Alps, which is in Irving Park, Mayfair area. And they have the best pancakes in the world. I would really? actually oh. I would say that whenever we travel and someone gets pancakes, we always compare them to the Alps. <laughs> That's say, awesome. But are they are they Alps good? Are they that good? Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Well, thank you for those two recommendations. I too um living in the Chicago area. So I will have to check out both spots. Yes. And thank you for sharing your favorite spots. I know you've had really an illustrious dance career at the Joffrey that began at 12. Tell me a little bit about when you first knew that either A, you were good at dance, or B, that it was something you loved. I started ballet when I was five, as many little girls do really around that time. I think I first knew that I had something. Uh, I started at a school called Garden State Ballet, and I was asked at the age of nine to join special class. It was a scholarship class, and it was actually for college students. And I was asked to join the class when I was nine years old. So I was clearly the youngest in the class. And there were a couple other pre-college students, but I think the next oldest student was 14. So at that point, had they told you, you, we really think that you're talented, would like you to join this class, or did they just put you in it? And was it something, how, what was that like where they kind of tapped you and said, this is something you're really good at? I think that they kind of approached my parents a little bit more than I don't think they wanted to make it a big deal, which I appreciate, but I, I kind of hated it to be honest. At first there was no one my age and I just felt really almost embarrassed to be in the class. But then, yeah, I think they, they reached out to my parents and said, you know, there's, there's something special there and why wait to sort of nurture that when we can, we can really be working on that now. And this would be, an appropriate class for her to be in. So when you are nine, 10, and then obviously joining the Joffrey at 12, what were your days like? Is it the discipline and the rigor that you hear so much of that is necessary to really be at the top of your class in the ballet world? Can you kind of give me an insight into what those, you know, those, especially those years when you're young and such so formative, what were they like? I think um, it was very different then than it is now. And I think that not everyone has the same path, especially at that time. So when I was that age, I I was dancing every, I would go to school during the day and then go to ballet right after school. And that I spent every afternoon and evening there, I would come home, I would do homework, I would spend all weekend at ballet, dancing different styles. And that was my life. It just, it, it became such a part of my life. And 
I think at that time, that was, you know, this was generally in the 80s, that was pretty unique to have one, not hobby, but one activity that to spend so much time. I think nowadays that's not as unique. I think people almost have to find whatever their extracurricular activity is. But how did you feel about it? Did you, did you resent it? Did you love it? How did you feel at that age, putting so much of your life into one focus? To be honest, I didn't think it's just what I did. I didn't mm-hmm. think much about it until I did go to a, a rigorous high school. Private school is uh, very small. And as my friends were applying for college, it just was always sort of a known that I would really try to have a career in dance. And I think also nowadays there's there is the opportunity to also get a college degree and then still have a career. But then it seemed almost like wasted years, that sort of 18 to 22 year old, that was when you would start your career. And after that, you weren't as hireable, I think. So did you love it? Did you, did you really, did you love it? Or did you, you I got the sense that you felt like You didn't really know anything different. Like it was just your life. So I think that sort of like my junior year, senior year was the moment that I stepped back and asked myself that very question. Mm -hmm. Do I love it? Or am I just doing it because I'm good at it? Mm. And I, I kind of panicked for a little bit, to be honest. I even stopped dancing for a couple months because I had never really had that. I don't know what I thought of as normal upbringing. You know, I didn't go to parties. I didn't go to high school events really. And so I stopped for a couple months and tried to be what I thought was normal. And I missed it. I missed it a lot. It's not, the trade-off was not worth it to me. And all of a sudden I was just like everybody else. And I had sort of lost my uniqueness. And more importantly, I just really missed I miss the physicality, but I really missed the artistry and being able to express myself. That's how I expressed myself. And I, it, it was just such a common part of my day mm. that I, I maybe took it for granted a little bit and I never really thought about it. Yeah. You almost had to step away to really understand yes. that, that it was part of you, but it was also not only were you good at it, but it was how you, as you said, expressed yourself, how you came alive was through dance. And I and I I'll never forget that at this point in my life I was studying at New Jersey Ballet during the year, and then I would spend every summer at the Joffrey School in New York, which was at that time connected to the Joffrey Company because the Joffrey was still in New York at that time. And I came back after my time off, and we were getting ready for our spring performances at the end of the year. And I I really, I, I mean it when I say I did not attend any classes for two months. And then I realized, oh, I'm stepping back into this moment that I've sort of missed out on, you know, they kept going, I didn't. And so I, I stepped back into the moment going, okay, well, let's see what happens. I'm gonna, and, and they had, because it was my graduating year, they had kind of created this piece around me. My spot was there and it was empty. And I was so touched by that, that they didn't give up on me when I was questioning what I was doing. And it was it was such a special feeling to be able to, to perform and be a part of that and still give credit and value to all I had 
done before that. Yeah. And so rare, right? Usually when someone is going to step out, like there's like five other people waiting to rush in and take their spot, the competitive world of dance, right? We all hear about it. So the fact that they had like saved space, they weren't going to give up on you, even though you were thinking about giving up on them. Right. um, Really said a lot. And I probably, that moment probably affects you now as an instructor and as someone who teaches. What is your day like now? And what about it do you love the most? I've stepped into this role as Abbott Academy Director of the Joffrey Academy of Dance. So now the Joffrey Academy of Dance that's in Chicago is the official school of the Joffrey Ballet. And it's the only school connected to the entire Joffrey organization. And I've stepped into this role just a few months ago after having been a dancer with the company for 20 years. And then I was teaching in the academy and then I was a rehearsal director with the company for seven years. So I've been around the academy for many, many since it started, but really stepping into this role, it's, I knew it would be different. I knew it would be a completely different field and I was excited to learn more of the business and management side. But I don't know that you can ever really prepare for how different it is. I'm in a lot of meetings. (laughs) I'm not in the studio as much as I might want to be, but that's something that I think as I get a grasp of the business side of it, I can schedule that time to be in the studio. But we just started our school year last week. And day one, I was in the studio with our trainees and working on staging a piece for them. And it's so valuable for me to be able, I was staging a work by Gerald Arpino, who is one of the Joffrey's co-founders, and um, the students are actually performing it next weekend. There's a centennial and there's a huge festival, Arpino Centennial Celebration happening. And so to start with them on day one with the history of the Joffrey, I think is a unique opportunity that we can give our students, but what a beautiful way to learn physically and connect emotionally and learn the history of this company. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute, but first, thank you to our sponsors. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. 
So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National Agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Angostura. If you've ever made a cocktail at home, you've most likely shaken Angostura bitters into your cocktail at the very end of the cocktail making process. In addition to bitters, Angostura has been making world-class rum for more than 130 years. The next fall cocktail you make, try the beautiful, smooth flavor of Angostura rum. It will transport you to the Caribbean islands of Trinidad and Tobago. The House of Angostura will celebrate its 200-year anniversary of turning drinks into cocktails in 2024. Cheers, everyone. Now back to our conversation. Tell me a little bit about Robert Joffrey, because you knew him personally, and, and so much of his style and his ethos. What do you remember the most about him? You know, I my, my very first experience with the Joffrey was an audition for the summer program when I was 12, and he taught the audition class. And at, at the time, I, I mean, I knew who he was, but I didn't quite understand, now having been through it, for a director to, to take a summer intensive audition on a Saturday morning. And, you know, that's not common to have that much care and attention to future generations, I think is very unique, was very unique to him. And so honestly, he was the first person I ever met at the Joffrey was Robert Joffrey. So I remember him being intense, but also just charming and kind of captivating. I mean, it's almost like Pied Piper, like it, you just, you wanted to, to follow him. I remember him teaching a combination in that audition class. And this was a long time ago. <laughs> and I still remember it, but uh, teaching a combination and taking me by the hand to lead me across the floor to go over the combination. And I remember being almost for a second scared. And then also I, I wanted to do so well. And I, I just wanted to prove myself and show him what I could do. But I, I later studied with him. He had a workshop that he used to do. And his classes were a typical ballet class is an hour and a half long. And his classes were three hours long. They were, wow. they were twice as long as that. And Every minute of it was filled. And I I don't think anyone was bored ever. We were definitely tired at the end of them. He really had a very clear sense of how to teach ballet and that anybody could do it. It doesn't mean you're going to be a professional dancer, but any person's body can do ballet. It's not something unique to someone who has natural turnout or can get their legs up high or any of that. It's really anyone can do it. It just has to come from, you have to think about the physiology of it and how, how your body can create the shapes in those lines. And, and he was just, it's very logical approach, but also very inspiring. Just, you know, the way he would build on classes throughout the week, it, it really was engaging and he's really kind of a, a demanding, but also lovable teddy bear. He was just a really <laughs> wonderful man. He sounds like a wonderful guy. I'm yeah. just wondering how he shaped your teaching and 
what is your personal style and point of view when you are in the classroom? And what is your POV of how you try to bring the students and bring out the best in them? I, I personally, and I, I do think he was like this too, and I, I probably got it from him that I don't think there's one right way. And I don't think that it will be the right way forever. Dancers are evolving. Students are evolving. Teachers are evolving. Ballet is evolving. And if we don't move along with it, then we're dated, you know, and we're stuck in a time that is not as vital as, as right now. So I think if, if the approach comes from logical approach, then it's always going to be right. But you have to remain flexible to, oh, actually, that makes more sense now. You know, it makes maybe more sense for this choreography to be over your leg this much more or something mm-hmm. like that. I think it's there has to be sort of allowance for, for change. And it doesn't mean that you're wavering and changing everything you say, but I think even for the different people in the room, not everyone is going to be able to do a pirouette with the same thought. People need to think of different things to, to make it work for them. So it's, I think there's an individuality to teaching. It's so brilliant. I I think any teacher of any subject would say, when you watch a student have that aha moment of, oh, I get it now, or this is working. That's just, it, it means everything. And, and the thing is in dance, you can have a day where you have that aha moment and then the next day it's not working anymore. Right, and right. you have to work through that too. It's just, you know, there, you have to have patience. And the progress does this a little bit. And When you think of the arc of your career, was there a moment when you wanted to quit or was there an obstacle that seemed too hard to overcome? Luckily for me, my moment that I was questioning before I became a professional dancer was that moment. Mm-hmm. And once I'd had that resolve of, oh, no, this is what I really want to do, I never looked back. Yeah, I'm also very lucky and I don't take for granted that I got into the company I wanted. I think that, you know, I had I had seen the Joffrey perform from a very young age. And I remember seeing them do one of Gerald Arpino's ballets, actually, Light Rain. And it was on point. It was ballet. But they were moving in a way that I had never seen a ballet dancer move. And I had always studied different styles of dance. I was always, I had taken modern from a really young age and jazz classes. And I, I loved character classes, all of it. I mean, I loved ballet, but I, I wanted to be able to move in different styles and to see an American company moving in that way. I just, I, I was sold. It, I just, that's all I ever wanted. And I think a lot of students do that mm-hmm. now as a teacher and as a director, I try to tell our students that yes, I, of course we all want you in the Joffrey too. We want everybody to get into the Joffrey, but that's not, that's not going to be everybody's career path. So we kind of try to say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You you should get out there and audition and be seen by other people. And you just never know what's going to click for you. And that is still success. You know, even if you've come through the Joffrey Academy and haven't moved on to the company, it, you didn't fail in any way. You just found your path, which is, which is different, but it's still important and it's still successful. 
What is your vision for the Academy now that you have this new role? And what are you personally hoping to bring to the new role? I think that it has not had such a strong connection to, well, first of all, Robert Joffrey, with <laughs> the name is in there. And I didn't work with him very closely. I was I didn't work with him as a company dancer, but I did as a student. And so I think that that's unique that I can give that approach to our academy and to our current students. I'd like to make that connection to our history a little stronger. And we're also really fortunate that we're we're the only school in the area that has a company attached to it and such an amazing company. And I want to make that connection stronger as well. So we've already started, we have a masterclass series that we started on Friday nights. It's for our highest pre-professional level, but it's also an open adult class. So, and students from around the area can come and take these masterclasses and it's taught by our company dancers. And so they take turns and they rotate through the weeks and they teach a ballet class and then they teach an hour of whatever they want to teach. So we just started last week and Christine Rokas was our first teacher and she taught part of the repertoire that the company is going to do part of Alex Ekman's Midsummer Night's Dream, which the company is doing in the spring. And she taught one of the dances from that. So that connection, I think, is so important that and then our students go see it on stage and say, hey, I, I learned that. And I learned that from her and she's up there doing it. I think that that's a really beautiful resource that I, I want to make that connection a little bit more. What advice do you give to young dancers who look up to you, look up to your students who want to be there, who have that desire to want to be a part of your world? What advice would you offer them to the young dancer who is, uh, has great aspirations of being a part of the Joffrey community? My advice is get in the studio. Really get in the studio and do it because there's not one goal. That's, that's the thing that, you know, my path is not going to be the same as somebody else's path. It doesn't make any one of them better, mm -hmm. but you got to get in there and do the work because the work is actually what is the most rewarding. I think mm -hmm. I, my time in the studio now, especially when I'm, you know, running from meeting to meeting, my time in the studio is the most precious to me. And it always has been It's a place of discipline, but it's a place of honesty and of taking risks. And that can start at a super young age. I mean, I remember creative movement classes when I just started and, and someone telling me to dance like a bird, to have that thought of not only be someone else or be something else, but how would that creature move? It's such a gift to be able to give someone even at that young of an age and to keep building on that is the best thing. And so even if you think you have a goal and you don't get that goal, it doesn't mean you haven't learned something. The the education is is rewarding and if at the very least you become an amazing audience member that's supporting companies around the world, we've done our job and it was all worth it. Yeah, it's the process. It's like enjoying the process, being a part of the process. And yeah. if if that alone should fuel you, not the end destination of being Absolutely. the principal dancer. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for this wonderful conversation. I wish you the best of luck in this new role. Sounds like it's one that you're made for. And I just hope you enjoy the process of it. 
Thank you. I am enjoying it. It's, It's a lot of fun and I'm happy to still be in this organization that I call home and that I love, but in a different capacity. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, cheers to you, Suzanne. Thank you. Thanks for listening to, to dine for the podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todineforTV.com. You can find us on Instagram at todineforTV and Facebook at todineforwithkatesullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. 